We started a series this year on incarnating Christ. And um, this is going to be um, the theme of our whole year. Incarnating Christ means reflecting the character of Jesus through our lives. It means becoming more like Jesus and giving him a bodily expression in our lives so that when people watch us, and people are watching you all the time, when people look at the way you live, when they listen to the way you speak, when they watch you in your daily life, what they do and what they're seeing is they're seeing an expression of Jesus lived through your life. That's what we want. That's what Jesus wants. As Jesus came and was an expression of Father God to us, in fact, he was the embodiment of Father God. When you got to see Jesus, you got to see Father God. Um, so we too are the expression and the embodiment of Jesus in our lives. That's what Jesus wants. He wants us all to be like him, all to be reflecting his character, all to be reflecting his love, all to be showing his grace and mercy to those around us and that coming out of our lives. So the way we live is really, really quite important. We either shine Jesus or we hide Jesus. Everybody say that. Shine Jesus or hide Jesus. You're not really in a place where you are you know, um, neither doing either or other. You're either shining Jesus in your daily walk or you're hiding him in the manner of your life. So we want to have a look at this. Today we're looking at um, incarnating Christ in staying power, in his staying power. In staying power, we talked last week about perseverance and, and, and maintaining and keeping going through difficult times. Today we're going to be talking about patience versus restlessness. Now the word patience is interesting and this is, there's a lovely scripture here in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 5. It says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. God, direct your heart into the patience of Christ so that you understand what the patience of Christ is and what it is to live that patience through in our lives. Now the word for um, patience is the word steadfastness or constancy or endurance. It's the characteristic of a person who's not swerved or not moved from his deliberate purpose. Um, his loyalty and his faith and his godliness is, uh, uh, are consistent even in great trials. So that patient is seen in the midst of great trials. You see patience when somebody's under great duress, when some difficulty is in their lives, when they're going through some suffering. That's when you see the, the, the quality of patience coming out in their life. Now, restlessness is only mentioned once in the New Testament, and it's an interesting verse. It's in James chapter 1, verse 8, and it says, The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the word unstable means restless in all his ways. And so um, this instability of life or this lack of patience in life is often caused by a duplicity or a double-mindedness or having two attitudes. So it's okay if we've got this mind, you know, that single-mindedness says, I'm going to go through this difficult time. This is the thing I want to do. This is what God's called me to do. And we decide that's what we're going to do. And then the pain and the suffering comes and, and we just single-mindedly keep on going, keep on going, because that's what we've determined to do. But if when the, when the pain starts, we go, oh, that hurts. Oh, that's a bit painful. And we start saying, I don't think I really want to do that anymore. That's that restlessness. That's that double-mindedness that causes... Uh, us to, to um, abdicate our responsibility before God. We're unsettled, we're unstable, we're disorderly. We don't go through with what God wants us to go through. So that's the restlessness. It comes from double-mindedness. 
So when we look at Jesus, we get to see that singleness of mind. Um, in, in, in Luke, I mean, in Matthew, sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9, it says, and Jesus said these words, Behold, I have come to do thy will, O Lord. I've come to do your will, O God. So when Jesus came and when he understood, uh, became conscious of, of himself and he became conscious of good and evil, and that's pretty young in the piece. You, um, Daisy's aware of maybe good and evil. She knows when she's being good and she knows when she's being bad. And she, when she mother tells her to do something, she gets a look on her face that says, I'm going to defy you. And then she pursue, pursues that defiance because there's an inclination in all human beings towards the evil, not towards the good. When Jesus was born and when he was about eight, Daisy's age, he's sitting on his mother's lap and he's aware of, will I obey mum or not obey mum? Will I do what I should be doing or not be doing? Is good and evil. He's aware of it at a young age. It says he was sitting on his mother's lap eating yogurt and honey, curds and honey. So that's pretty young. He's just starting his solids. And he discerns good and evil and chooses good, not evil. He says, I have come to do your will, O God. So at a very young age, at, in an infancy, he decided that the path forward was to obey God to do God's will. That was his choice. That was his focus. And then we're told in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 9, and we read these verses. In the days of his flesh, that's when Jesus was alive in the flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, he was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, it might sound like that Jesus in this passage of Scripture wasn't perfect at the beginning and he had to learn through suffering, you know, how to be obedient. That's not what this verse is saying. It's not saying that he was imperfect and had to become perfected through suffering. No, this verse actually says he chose the path of obedience and in doing so chose the path of suffering. And his maturity became evident. That was his obedience brought out that mature evidence. That's the perfection. The word perfect is perfect. The word mature is perfect. It says he was perfected. Now, a fruit that is not mature is perfect. A mandarin on my mandarin tree now is small. An orange on my orange tree is small. The, the, the bananas on my banana vine are small. They are perfect. There's nothing, there's no fault in them, there's no flaw in them, there's no disease on them, but they're just not ripe yet. So there's nothing wrong with imperfection in terms of being immature and not ripe yet. And Jesus was young and wasn't fully ripe. But when he became fully ripe, he became fully ripe because of the sufferings that were in his life. He didn't become ripe once he was wrong. He became ripe, ready to eat, so to speak. And so that's what it's talking about. And he chose the path that would please God. And in choosing that path, he chose the path of suffering. So single-mindedness is the foundation of patience. Single-mindedness, having one goal, one thought, one purpose, one mind, is the foundation to patience. And we really need to have a reality check when it comes to our walk with Jesus. There's a thing in our lives that, um, or in the church that now is called, it's called easy believism. Have you, who's heard of easy believism? 
It's an idea that says, you know, all you have to do, Phil, all you have to do is, you know, you know that Jesus loves you. We, we, high emphasis on the love of God and the mercy of God. You know he loves you. Yes, you know, if you just say a prayer and ask Jesus to forgive you, then you'll be right. Okay, if you want to say the prayer with me, and Phil says, you betcha. I mean, I'd like Jesus to fix me up. So, you know, he says a little prayer. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life. That's it. Exit straight. Okay, now that's it. You're saved. Once saved, you're, you're fine now. You don't have to do anything. You just believe. And that's okay. But Jesus never, ever gave that formula as being the way to salvation. We accept into our lives. But he gave very clear instructions. It wasn't going to be easy. He actually laid the opposite idea down that if you thought that you could turn your life to Jesus and you could follow Jesus, it was going to be easy. You got a rude awakening because Jesus said to you, you can't do that. You've got to count the cost before you even get started in this exercise. And so the reality of check is Christianity is not going to be easy. If you thought it was going to be easy, the Father Christmas is going to provide all of your needs and he's going to be looking after you and he's going to fix you up and everything's going to be fine. And he's, not going to, he's going to protect you and he's going to keep you from all things that harm, all things that would hurt you. And you'll be right now and he'll just take you into glory and it'll be home and hose. You know? Wake up. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Jesus never, ever promised that. He actually gave you the opposite. He said, if you follow me, it's going to get tough. So I want to, I want to talk to you about the cost first, because if you don't get the, the single-mindedness in your mind right, if you don't understand that it's going to cost you something at the beginning, if you don't get your mind set right at the beginning, you're going to get you're going to get disillusioned as you're going along. If you thought that Jesus was going to make it all easy for you and you wouldn't, it wasn't going to cost you anything in the long term, and then some, somewhere along the line the cost starts to, and you start to recognize this is going to hurt you, you're going to get a second thought about it. You're going to say, well, you didn't tell me that. I didn't, I, that wasn't in the arrangement when we first came. Martyred him. I didn't think that that was going to, you know, I thought you were just going to provide my needs and, and make me feel well and what, die for you? What are you talking about? That wasn't in our original arrangement. I didn't sign on, that, on the line for that. I didn't sign to be slowly cooked over a fire till I was dead. I wanted you to give me what I want. I wanted you to please me. I wanted you to be my God and, and you, I'd be your favorite son and I'd live on the fat of the lamb. That's what I wanted. What, what are you talking about dying for you? I, I don't think I like that arrangement. I, think, I don't think I want to do that. So you've got that duplicity. Two-mindedness. So let's go back to the very beginning and let's sort of go back to what Jesus actually said. Now Jesus had a, this amazing ability to, to, to attract people. People were attracted to him. You know, he would go somewhere and 5,000 men plus women and children would follow him. He'd walk into a place and there was a crush on, everybody's hanging around him and he's like, oh, of course he's doing some amazing things. You know, raising the dead, opening blind eyes, making the lame walk, breaking up bread and feeding it. You know, he's walking on water and doing some really amazing tricks. Oh yeah, he's got the crowds and they're all coming. Every time Jesus got a crowd around him, guess what he did? He started saying things that were really inappropriate that would, would offend the crowd, that the crowd would just start to say, you know, 
Oh, we, do we really want to follow him? He was more about sorting the crowd than getting the crowd. I think in our days, we try and keep the program in the church such that it is good for everybody and don't say anything too hard and don't say anything too controversial and don't go on about that sin or the other sin because it might offend a few people and those people might leave the church. We're all about collecting a crowd rather than sorting the crowd. That's the basic difference with Jesus. You know, in our day and age, the more number of people you get in the seats, the better you are as a minister. If you've got a big church, you're a successful minister. If you've got a small church, you're not. And because we're looking for something in it for our own pride, we don't teach the Word of God. We keep it sort of middle road so that no one's going to get offended by what we say. That's what generally happens. And so the largest churches that you can see that have thousands and thousands of people in the churches, you won't hear any strong messages that will cut to the core of sin. And the reason you won't hear them say anything like that is because they don't want to marginalize people in their church. They don't want people to leave. They would rather have them in the church than outside the church. Jesus did not think like that. Jesus, when he got a crowd, looked at them and says, which one of you will believe when I tell you the truth? And then he would begin to speak the truth and he would watch them leave and he was left usually just with the 12 that he had chosen. That's the way it worked. But that was the way of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. Luke chapter 14, 25. Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned to them and said, and here's one of his little hard sayings, one of Jesus' little provocative things. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, whoa, 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 hate's a very strong word. I remember my wife saying to my daughter, hate's a very strong word. You shouldn't use the word hate, Uh, you know, and then I, you know, and then Max obviously picked it up from his mother because Max came to me the other day and he says, uh, you know, Hate's a very strong word, Papa. You don't use the word hate. That's a very strong word. Yeah, because we don't like saying, I hate you. That's not a good thing to say. You know, hate's a very strong word, isn't it? You wouldn't want to use the word hate. It's not good for a crowd to use the word hate. And Jesus looks at those who follow him and says, this is the criteria by which you can follow me. You have to hate the person you are meant to love the most. Well, he just rattled their cage. Well, if they were there sort of half-heartedly following him, they were just standing there and saying, what did you just say? Unless you hate your mother and your father and all the mothers who want to be hated by their children, put up your hands. Well, of course not. I mean, you, 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 you serve your child. You lay out your whole life for your child. You, you, you breathe for them in the night watches and in the morning watches. You sacrifice for them. You give away your whole life for them. You give away your bodily form for them so that you can have these children. You give everything and you lay it out good. And they return you evil for good. They hate you. I hate you, mummy, because you won't give me lollies. I hate you because you won't buy me a an iPod. I hate you because I can't have a phone. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. That's not nice. And here's Jesus saying, unless you hate your mother, the word is strong word, it's hate, detest. Detest. Strong. It's a strong word. Somebody say, oh yeah, but in another page he said, oh, love less. No, no, but in this place he didn't say that. He said, hate. 
He didn't say love less. He said hate. So he is being provocative. He's trying to provoke something inside of you that will react to what he is saying. He's trying to see whether you are going to follow him now. He says, unless you count the cost, he says, you cannot be. He says, you've got to hate your mother, your father, your children, your wife, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. You have to have a self-loathing if you want to follow me. If you can't do that, he says, you cannot be my disciple. Okay, so he's laying the foundation before you even start, before you even begin this work you've got to have an attitude and mind that says you know what this is going to cost me something don't come sit in the church and think this is going to keep me going as I'm going through life and then I'm going to launch out into my business and my start my career this is going to cost you something you won't have anything left when he's finished you won't even have your own life well, I just want my life, my career, my direction, my hope, my house, my car, my, my wife, my kids. You'll have nothing left if you don't get rid of that at the beginning of the exercise. So when you come to Christianity, Jesus is not saying this is going to be easy. At the very beginning, he sits his disciples down. He looks at all the crowds that have come following. He had it made. He could have said, yeah, I've got success now. Whoa, I can take over the world now. I just feed them. I can multiply. I can do the, I can do the tricks, mate. The Roman, Romans won't be able to fight me. You know what he did? He blows it. And how does he blow it? He says, this is what it is. Get this in your mind. There's no one greater than me in your life. You've got to hate everybody else when it comes to loving me. There's no boyfriend who can take the place of Jesus. If Jesus says, drop the boy, you've got to drop the boy. There's no woman that can take the place of God in your life. So if she says, well, you have to choose between me and your church. The choice has already been made. You get that? Oh, how many will be left? I don't know. How many you get that? How many do you really get this? Jesus says at the very beginning of your walk, at the very beginning, you can't expect to have patience in your life if you go into this thing thinking it's an easy ride. The grace of God abounds. Oh, his mercy and his goodness. Oh, isn't God good? I heard a bit of nonsense on a... On a seriously, I'll just di- di- digress. I was listening to some guys preaching, and I do that sometimes, go on to, and listen to iPods and some guys preaching. I listen to this guy preaching. He's talking about the love of God. And he's talking about church discipline. And his idea of church discipline was to love on people. Of course, but love on people means you didn't actually correct them or bring them into a place where they understood that it was sin, you just loved on them more. And so if they were doing bad things, you never confronted them, you just loved on them more. It made them feel accepted. So your church got bigger because a lot of people kind of got loved by God, but there were all kinds of people in the church. There were snakes and vipers, there was dogs and wolves, there were all kinds of things in the church because they were just loving on them. They weren't actually trying to fix them. Don't worry, that's my phone. <laughs> You're looking around, whose phone is that? Well, that's mine. <laughs> so this is what he said. Now, he, said, he gave two illustrations in this passage of Scripture. And, and the two illustrations, he said, who, would you, who of you would start to build a tower and not estimate the cost? 
He said, unless you started and then you weren't able to finish it. Now, this is a tower. It's called um, a skyscraper and it's called Sathon uh, um, Unique and it's in Bangkok. It's 49 stories high. 49 stories high. They got up that high and then the Asian um, market, the financial crisis hit the Asian market in 1997 and they stopped. Nothing more was done. It still stands there like that today. In fact, people go into it and they... They, they climb over all the dangerous parts and they climb up through the stairs and they always go up the top and the whole place is full of graffiti and stuff like that. But the thing is just a wreck. And it sits there. They've, they actually lit it up now so you can actually look at it. It's become an icon. He started to build, but he couldn't finish it. Didn't finish it. Our lives are like that when we start with God, we set ourselves up, oh, I'm going to follow God. And then because we haven't counted the cost, we can't continue because we haven't the single-mindedness to go ahead and keep on going. We come to it and then all of a sudden the hard road hits and it realizes that it's going to be the death of self here, the death of self. But I'm the most important person in the world and I like talking about myself. Why should I not do that, you know? Oh, this Christianity is a bit, you know, over the top, isn't it? It's the death of you, not the... It's the life of you, yes, abundant life, but the life that you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. It's Christ who lives in me. Get it? So you've got to count the cost. Jesus has clearly and precisely warned that following him is not going to be an easy ride. So don't turn to your neighbor and say to your neighbor, ain't going to be easy. Do they, are they paying attention to you? Poke them in the arm now. Look at my eyes. Look at my eyes, say. Say, look at my eyes. Look at, my, look at me in the eye. Now say it again to them. When you've got to, it's not going to be easy. Nathan, rash. It's not going to be easy. I tell you what, Amanda, it's not going to be easy. So what does patience achieve in our lives? Patience straightens us. If we're crooked, it straightens us. If we're bent, we get straightened. If there's some sort of flaw in our character, it's a little bit twisted, patience works on the twist and straightens the twist out of our character. And it builds strength within our lives. Patience is the result of single-mindedness. And so it means to per persevere patiently and bravely and enduring misfortunes and troubles. To be patient is to be bearing with the offences and injuries of others. That means so somebody can be really nasty to you, but if you're patient, you don't move. You don't change your view. In fact, meekness is a word very closely associated to patience. Meekness is to suffer injury patiently without resentment. So a meek person is a very patient person. It means that I can do something and then and he can do me wrong and I'm sitting there going, you know, I would like to punch you now, but I am going to be patient. 
And then I, and then they come around, oh, that's good, you know, and it straightens something out in my life. And I've, that aggression, that revenge, that uh, bad mouthing, that all that old thing that I used to do when somebody did me wrong, you know, the things I used to do, I have to put them down and I have to say, oh, I've got to be like Jesus now. Smile, God forgive him. God forgive him again. How many times do you have to forgive him? Jesus says, 70 times seven. Oh, God. God, forgive him again, you know? And it sort of straightens something out in you. You know, it works on your character. That's what it does. Patience actually works it out. Um, being a pastor of a church for quite a number of years, we've had quite a number of things happening. And Coming from a, a, a long line of ministers in, in religion, I think my son, if he went into the ministry, he would be the fifth generation people in the ministry. My great-great-grandfather was a... Is that your granddad? No, no. They don't come back. <laughs> um, so, and in that period of time, I, I got something, and this is what I got. Things are not the way you'd very much like them to be very often. Did you get that? Do you want me to say it again? Things are not the way you'd very much like them to be very often. Uh, I know that we'd like to have things the way we'd very much like them to be and we get seriously frustrated if we don't have them that way. But in Christendom and in church, I know this thing. Things are not the way you'd very much like them to be and they're not that way very often. I mean, we might get one good meeting out of 100 meetings, you know, where I'm feeling like, oh, that was good. But most of the other times I'm sitting there looking and saying, "Mm, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I thought God wanted. Oh, I'm not happy with that. I mean, I'm idealistic inside. I have these great expectations. They've called me quixotic, you know, to the point that I'm idealistic to an impacted degree. And that's a really painful thing when you have to work with people who are flawed. Man, if everybody was perfect, we could really wing it, you know, and go. But guess what? We're not. And if you thought perfect people lived in this church, you come to the wrong place. I'm in charge here, and that's imperfect. It's a problem straight away, isn't that, Mandy? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She's, the, she's the sister of an imperfect man. I know that the Bible says Mark the, Mark the perfect man, and that my wife read that before she, she married me. She read the psalm, Mark the perfect man, but it's a lie. He ain't. That's a problem. So everyone has to ex- ex- exercise patience. Patience is what happens when things are not perfect. When things can't be perfect, when things will never be perfect, patience is what happens inside of us that keeps us going when things don't look like they're ever going to change. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, Jesus actually sat his disciples down again. I mean, he said to them at the beginning in chapter 5, and, and a lot of you have already read this, he says, so seeing the multitudes gathered around him, he sat his disciples down on the grass, and he said to them, he says, Paul, and he, he says that he, he got his disciples together and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, and he began, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he, he went through all the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after the righteous, blessed are those who mourn. And he started to teach them. You, know what, you want to know what following Jesus is? You want to know what Christianity is? This is what it's going to take. This is what it's going to take. And then he got to verse 10. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were involved. He's actually telling you, hey, guess what? They're going to spit in your face. They're going to pick up the dirt and they're going to rub it all over you. They're going to return evil for good. But you're blessed. Imagine going for a job and the guy says, you know, I just want you to just lay a few foundations down here for this job interview. Eugene, it's a good job. You'll like the job. It has great um, benefits when it comes to retirement. In fact, we have this long-term basis thing that, you know, it's a real winner when you come... Yeah, the trouble is uh, when you work for me, as you work, the harder you work, the more hated you become. You'll put your hands in, you'll do good to somebody and they'll pick their hands in the dirt and they'll rub it in your face. You okay about that? No, 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 not just once, not twice, just about every time. Just about every time. Are you okay with that? You want the job? You see, that's what he's saying to us. He's saying, look, this is, this is before you start, get this vision. Get this in your mind. Have this view in your head. It is not going to be easy to follow Jesus. So if you are going through a hard time at this present time, if you are battling something at this present time, if you're running up against the wall today, if you ran into something last week, if it got terribly difficult for you, guess what? Hey, that's normal. Wait until it really gets bad. He says, this is the consequence, or this is the result or the effect of patience. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its favor, how shall it be seasoned? You say, when, when you start being patient and when you start living this different lifestyle and it's costing you a great deal, people look at you and say, you know what, you're salty. There's something about your life. There's something about your life that is different. What is it about your life that's different? You just do not act like, you know, I saw somebody do that to another bloke last week and he picked up a shovel and he hit him with it. Well, why aren't you hitting them with a shovel, you know? Why do you love them when they hate you? You're salty. You're a light on the, on a wall of the world. You're a city on a hill that can't be hidden. You don't hide it. You know, we, we <laughs> most of us struggle with this, putting it out there. You know, you, you, you go and you're standing there and you could talk to somebody now about their faith. In fact, Shandell tells me sometimes she's sitting there and she might be talking to the electrician or talking to the car. Look, the guy who's fixing up the car and she has in her mind this idea, I should talk to him about whether he's going to heaven or hell. So we all get that. How many people get that? Put your hand up if you get that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. You're standing there and somehow in the matter, Jesus says, talk to them now. And you know what you do? Uh, this is going to cost me something. You mean I have to bring it out and put it out there that I'm a Christian? You have to put it right out there that I'm a Christian? Yeah, about no. <laughs> How about no? Oh, is that really God talking to me or not? Oh, I don't know whether it. Nah. I, I mean, I know the Bible says my sheep hear my voice, and I know I actually hear, you know, talk to them, but you know, no. No, you know, they might think I'm funny. They may think I'm over the top. They may have some other idea. I won't actually do that. 
So when Ben was sitting there and he's, he's going into his office some years ago and there's a little Filipino lady there cleaning the house and cleaning the things around and the Lord says to him, you know, she'll talk to her about her faith. About Ben would sit there and he was thinking, oh, I don't think I'll do that. And then he thought, yeah, it's only a cleaner woman. If she doesn't like me, who cares? Who doesn't care about that? And so he begins to talk to this cleaning woman because it wasn't the boss and it wasn't the, the constable above him. It was just the cleaning woman. So it was easy. And Terry is gratefully here in the fellowship now because this man shared his faith with her. But, you know, we do that. We, we, it's easy to hide it because we don't want to put ourselves out there. That's the problem. We, we don't count the cost at the beginning. And so we actually, it's very difficult to be patient because we abdicate responsibility at the time. We say, oh, you know, double-minded. So we become restless. So let's look at a restless man. Let's look at Peter. A person's faith is always going to be tested. Who wants to be men and women of faith? Put your hand up if you want to be a man and woman of faith. Now, who doesn't want to be a man and woman? They're quite happy to live in the shadows. Don't want to be men and women of faith? Put your hand up. So everybody wants to be a person of faith. Your faith is going to be tested. Well, take Peter. The first testing was, you know, he's sitting in the boat, you know. Jesus comes walking on the water. He's big with his mouth, Peter. You notice that? He's always Big statements come from Peter's mouth. You are the Christ, the Holy One of God. You know, oh, is that right, Peter? You got it. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I'm on my mouth. I said it. Big with his mouth. Sitting in the boat, Jesus is walking on water. He goes, whoa, he's walking on water. Hey, if that's you, Jesus, you tell me to come. You know, what does he not want to hear? He doesn't want to hear, come. I mean, because that really puts the edge on the moor. I mean, he says, ask me, Peter, just more than let me get in the boat, you know? No, 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 Jesus hangs back now because he's interested in Peter's faith. When you've got your faith, he wants to test it. He wants to test it. Say, ask me, Peter, come over here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, guys, everybody's like, you said it, Peter. Your mouth, you look out the boat. So he, Peter climbs out the boat. He climbs out the boat and he begins to walk on the water. The time. And then he gets distracted. Remember that singleness of mind is the foundation for patience. A duplicity of thought and you will drown. He gets distracted. He looks at the problems. He looks at the difficulties. He looks at the pain. He looks at the fears. He looks at the water and the wind and the waves. And he's beginning to seek. He cries out, oh, Jesus, save me. He wasn't patient. <laughs> well, how long would he have gone down before Jesus grabbed him? Uh, you know, you know the, the thing that I like, about this is that yeah Peter heard Peter put it out there and Peter was tested and he failed he failed the test ah but he was better than you you didn't get out of the boat he did he's in the process of learning something is straightening up in his character look it could have gone two ways Peter climbs out the boat this is success he's walking stand up you're, you're Jesus today Did 
me come if that's you, Jesus. Whoa! This is success. He climbs out. Hey, Jesus, look! We're walking on the water! Oh, Jesus! Let's do a dance around here! Listen, the water water comes over, splash! You're not thinking of me neither! I'm delighting in the Lord! Well, that's just a focus thing. Oh, you have a little pace. Why did you doubt? Oh, it's getting wet, Jesus! What do we do when it gets wet? My eyes are on you, Lord! It could have been that way. Well, it wasn't it. Because he took his eyes off Jesus. He didn't delight in the Lord. He feared in the, the things around him. He didn't, grab, he didn't run to Jesus, grab his hand and say, Whoa, let's do a bit of a dance. Let's run over the top of this one, down the other side. He, he could have done that. Oh, he would have said to him then, Oh, ye of great faith. Well, he did. He, did, he said it to other people who, who expressed equally great faith. So I have never seen great faith like this. Peter could have done that. If he'd filled his eyes with Jesus, had only eyes for Jesus, even though the stuff was coming around, if he'd delighted in the Lord, he could have taken it. He could have danced through the dangerous waves. They could have skipped over the white crests. They could have surfed down the fronts of the waves. They could have had a bad whale of a time, and the others could have said, whoa. Oh. Well, why couldn't he? It was all there. He walked on water to go to Jesus, it says, and he began to sink slowly. You see, we, we lose our singleness of mind because of the distractions that come. And we are not patient with what God is doing with us because we have a duplicity of focus. We're two-minded. If, if, if Peter's choice was to delight in the Lord, he could have danced through the danger, and Jesus, he would have danced through the danger with Jesus. But he took his eyes off, and he began to drown. It was the Peter said, what are you believing for? What are you wanting? Remember last week we said, is the thing that you're wanting, is that the thing in your vision? Has that become your little God? Or is it Jesus who's the giver of the gift? Is that your God? Remember we said, if the gift becomes your God, you've taken your eyes off Jesus and you'll begin to drown. Patience is built on the foundation of single-mindedness. So here's, we have Peter again. We have Peter and he's coming. Jesus says, all of you, he's, this is, he's just before he goes and gets uh, killed. He says, all of you are going to stumble because of me. He says, the sheep, shepherd of the sheep is going to be um, uh, taken out, strike, struck down, and the sheep of, uh, and the flock will be scattered. Uh, but and when I come up from the dead, Jesus says, I'll come and meet you in Galilee. Peter, quick with his mouth, you know? Always quick with his mouth. He says, even if everybody else is going to forsake you, I will not. Even if everybody else is going to stumble, I'm not. I and Jesus says to him, hey, 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 Peter, 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 Peter. He says, before the crock crows, you're going to deny me three times. No, 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 no. Even if I have to die for you, I won't deny you. And the others say, yeah, 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 we won't deny you, Jesus. We'll just stick it out with you, you know. So this is a bold statement. What do we know about bold statements? They bring a test. 
So Jesus says, Peter says, can I take some swords with me? You read that in a couple of Gospels. Yeah, this is, and he says, is that it? So he's now carrying a sword. Jesus said he could carry a sword, so he, so he walked in and he's carrying a sword into the garden. They've gone in their time of prayer, and as they've gone in their time of prayer, Jesus says, I want you to get down there, and I want you to... Um, sorry, go back. I said, I want you to uh, go down there and I want you to pray so that you don't get caught. So Jesus is away interceding and sweating drops of blood and he comes back and he looks at Peter and says, you're sleeping, Peter? So he's on to Peter straight away. He says, you better pray so that you don't enter into temptation. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he's on to Peter. Remember, Peter's opened his mouth and said, I'll die for you. So after the intercession and the prayer, and they, Judas comes and he... So Peter's there and he's got a sword on his waist. He is ready to have a brawl. He's ready to have a big fight. He's ready to kill somebody. Oh, we'll go down. We'll all go down together. <laughs> and the, the, the high priest servant comes and he pulls out the sword and he swipes off his ear. Bang, like that. Cuts his ear off. Jesus heals it tells Peter to put the sword away and says, I could actually call legions of angels to defend myself, but how would the scripture be fulfilled? So he puts Peter in his place. He tells him to stop what he's doing. It's nonsense. So here we have Peter, the big man who's going to die for Jesus. Jesus is taken away and he's torturing, being tortured now. John's gone into the thing. Peter's standing a little bit back. He's looking over. And a servant girl... A Sheila, a woman, says to him, you're one of him. Oh, oh, danger, danger. I might be found out. Oh, scared, fearful. Oh, dear. Oh, no, 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 I'm not one of him. A girl. Here's a man who was ready with a sword to chop off somebody's ear and to stab him and kill him, die in his faith, you know, and then a girl comes up and says to him, you're one of him. You're one of them. Oh, no, he can't, even, he can't even stand there. He can't stomach it. He has to deny Christ. So then the Bible says he moves out to the porch. So he's moving now away from Jesus. The test. Oh, we want him to be patient. We want him to have singleness of heart. We want him to have singleness of focus. We want him to say, yeah, 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 I am. What are you going to do about it? No, no, no. He hasn't learned that yet. And he moves out to the porch and another servant girl says, you are one of them. No, no, I'm not. And he moves out to the gate. So he's moving further and further away from Jesus because of his duplicity of mind. He's not single-minded. John is single-minded. John is standing in the middle. He's watching the whole thing. He's right next to Jesus. You can see the whole thing going on. Peter, he's moved out to the gate now. And a guy looks at him and says, you are one of those guys. He says, you're talking like him. And then he's cussing and carrying on and using foul language to, to try and convince the guy he's not. And the Bible tells us in Luke that Jesus looks around and looks at Peter. Bang. When the rooster crows, Jesus knows he'd done it three times. He looks around. He looks at Peter square in the eye and he looks at him. And Peter remembers that he was tested. 
And he broke down and cried and ran out. He was distraught. You see, faith is always tested. Your faith is always going to be tested. There is no time at any time in your life that the test will not come. Tests will come. It is your singleness of mind that will take you through the test. Duplicity of thought will destroy you. By the time we get to Peter, Peter's learnt the lesson. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, he says, In this you greatly rejoice. He said, you know, I can, I can smile about it now. He says, I didn't smile about it then, but I can smile about it now. He says, I can greatly rejoice. He says, for if need be, and in my case, I need it, you have been grieved by various trials. And so Peter had been grieved, upset, saddened by various trials in his lives. He says, that the genuineness of your faith might be much more, that is much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, might be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, he's saying, look, sometimes you need to have your faith tested so that something good can be born out of you. He said, and God knows what you need. He certainly knew what I need, says Peter. And he tested my faith, and it was grievous. He continues to say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, he says, For what credit is it to you when you are beaten for your own faults and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. He says, there's no benefit for you if you get beaten up because you're doing the wrong thing. He says, when you're doing the right thing and someone beats you up, he says, that's when it's commendable to you. He says, and for this you were called. Now touch the person beside you, just give them a touch. You can't get away from this one. Wake up. This is a wake-up call. You were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. You are going to suffer. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. For as much as then as Christ has suffered for us in his flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. It's a, an attitude of mind. For that... He has suffered in the for, he, for for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He can no longer uh, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And so he's saying this is singleness of mind. So Paul was no stranger to this. So you'll read this in Paul in in Romans. Paul writes, not only this, we, we glory in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So you say Paul was aware of it. Peter became aware of it. James knew it was the case. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. So you listen, rejoice when this happens to you. Count it all joy. Have a, a disposition and a mindset. Oh, this is one of those suffering times. Oh, goody. <laughs> oh, goody. A time to suffer. Oh, wonderful. A testing time. Oh, I've been waiting for it. Oh, dear. How, oh, this is so foreign to us. The thing, that, that the thing that comes to my mind when we hit a hard patch is the complaining that comes out of our mouths in the hard patch. We don't say, bless you, Jesus, hallelujah, this is tough. We say, what are you doing, God? Can't you see I'm here? Why are you doing all the pain for me? I'm doing all this work and then you're giving me dishing out pain to me. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. It's lovely. Beat me. 
Thank you, Jesus. Really, like, turn the heat up a little bit more. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, you think that's painful? Oh, try harder. Try your hardest, devil. <laughs> it hurts so much. Oh, it's good, isn't it, Jesus? None of you like that. You're mad, Mark. You're absolutely mad thinking that that should be the case. Counted joy, it says. Have the singleness of mind. Can't you see that there's a time in God's economy where he perfects us to make us more like Jesus through suffering, through hardship? And he looks at us and says, are you really going to keep on going, Phil? Are you really going to keep on going? Well, wait until I let that happen to you. Will you keep on going then? And then it comes on, Phil, and he says, oh, mate, this is so hard. You really have to mess with that person? You have to allow that person into your life? You have to tolerate that person? Well, I like to hit him. No. You can't. Patience. Patience. It involves negatives and positives. And let's have a look at patience. Things you so the things that we do, they're, they're positive things. Things that we do when we're in hard times. You have to look at that. And the things that we shouldn't do when it's difficult times. So patience is, hey, there's things that you shouldn't do when you're under test. There's things that you should do and things that you shouldn't do. And then they've got to embrace the whole idea of suffering. So if Ruth is going to suffer for her faith in Jesus, she's got to embrace the whole idea of suffering. It's going to be hard. Be a Christian. You're in grade 10, 11? Grade 11, grade 12. Oh, big years. If you're going to be a dynamic Christian for Jesus, uh, you're not going to be favorite in the school. Sorry. just doesn't work that way. So you have to embrace the idea of not being favorite in the school. Uh, that means that probably some of your people who, who you expect are going to be your friends are going to actually say nasty things about you because you love Jesus. You know? Yeah, she's just a Jesus lover. <laughs> a Bible basher. And they'll insult you and say all kinds of manner of things about you. But you embrace that. You embrace that. You think, well, that's going to happen. How many people did you go through who, who've just gone through grade 12? How many people had people in grade 12 who didn't like the fact that they were dynamically Christian? Put your hand up if you had that. Yeah. Did they say things to you? Did they say things to you, Michael? How, what did they do to you? They excluded you or did they say things to you? You can talk. Sorry? I wouldn't hang out with you would exclude you, reject you, think you're not, you know, not worthy of coming near us because you weren't wanting to do the thing. You know? Well, that's just embrace that. Embrace that. What's it going to be to follow Jesus? What did you go through, Jesus? I'm going to go through the same thing. I'm going to embrace that. And when it happens, oh, I must be doing the Jesus thing. Why? Because the, what they did to Jesus, they're doing to me now. They'll be comfortable about that because if they crucified him, guess what they'll do to you? But are you ready for that? He said, take up your cross and follow me. Okay. Psalm 37 is a beautiful psalm. I want you to read Psalm 37 with me. Look in your Bible, Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evil evildoers, nor be envious of 
of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut off like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness like the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his ways, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath and do not fret. It only causes harm. That's a beautiful psalm, isn't it? It's a lovely psalm. It goes on and says, For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So patience straightens your character. It strengthens your character. Psalm 37 verse 1 gives you three things, and I want to draw your attention to those three things. This is the challenge of single-mindedness. So see these three things. Very quickly. Look ahead. Everybody say, look ahead. If you have to be patient and it's getting hard where you are and it's difficult where you are and just because you're doing the right thing, you're going through the pain and the suffering because you're doing the right thing, look ahead. The Scripture says in verse 2, 9a and 10, they absolutely are true what the Scripture says. It says, For they shall soon be cut off, the people who do wickedness. They'll be cut off like the grass. They will wither as a green herb. For evildoers shall be cut off. Verse 10 says, For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for a place and you'll find them no more. Look, look ahead. It's true what it says. If it's hard where you are now, at least if you stay where you are, you'll stay through the storm and you'll come out the other end. The wicked ones are written off. So look ahead. It may be hard. I talked to somebody this week who's going through some very difficult times. Very, very painful times. And I challenged them to look ahead. But the problems, the problems, the problems, the problems. Friend, listen to me. The problems will always be there. They are like the waves around Peter. They'll always be there. Fix your eyes on Jesus and recognize those who take their eyes off Jesus will drown. As surely as Peter went down in the drink, you will go down in the drink if you take your eyes off Jesus. Don't sit there and say, well, everybody else is not doing this. You're asking me to keep my focus and it's really hard for me to keep my focus. What about that bloke? He's not keeping his focus on this bloke. No, no. Look. I have been in church long enough and I've told people, look, look, you know, this is what I think should take place. And people have said, ah, oh, I don't think we'll do that. And they've, they've sacrificed their kids on the altar of what they think rather than on the Word of God. And I look, I'm old enough now, their kids are older now, and they, they, their kids don't love Jesus anymore. They run away from Jesus now. And I'm sitting there, how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. It happened back then because when you should have been patient, persisting for that which is right, they took their eyes off. Jesus. They took their eyes off the right thing. They took their eyes away from what they should be doing. They set their eyes on everyone else is doing this. Everybody else is doing it. And their kids are no more. 
As sure as he said, they're going to go. It won't be long and they'll be, they'll be swept away. That's the truth. Your time is just this much. It's a vapour, the Bible says. It's only very short. If you take your eyes off Jesus, you'll be swept away. Keep your eyes on the Lord. So look. Ahead. Your eternal destiny rests in the fact that you keep your focus. Look up. Delight yourself in the Lord. An obsession with the waves is going to cause you problems. Everything that happens to you can either, and it's what um, was prophesied this morning by, uh, by Liz or, or, and what uh, Cheryl said this today, it can drive you towards Jesus or drive you away from Jesus. What's the problems this week that you're going to face? What, your financial difficulties? You, how many people have got some of those? Uh, maybe maybe you've got, you need a job. Maybe you've got no food in your house. Maybe you've got people who are putting you down. Maybe you're in a, in a conflicted relationship. Maybe there's some really, real heavy pain going down in your life. Now think about it. Think about it. Be patient in the midst of it. Keep your eyes and focus on Jesus in the midst of it. Delight in Jesus. Everybody's going to go through some testing times. It's all coming. Everybody is going to get tested. Whether it's Joyce or Mark, or it doesn't matter. Everybody's going to feel the, the, the cut of the test. In the test, the key is to look at Jesus' eyes and start to dance amongst the waves. Be like Peter. Hey, it's pretty wet out here. It's cold and it's scary. But I'm keeping my eyes on you, Jesus. Give me your hands. Let's go for a dance. You can ring up your friend and you can complain and you can say, oh, this is horrible. Everything is horrible. Terrible, 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 terrible. And then we can all talk about the problems. We can all look how terrible the problem is. But you can sit down with Jesus and you can look at him in his eyes and you can say, Jesus, even though it's horrible, I love you and you love me. And now I'm going to dance amongst the, the, the waves with you. I'm going to sit, I'm going to praise you, even though I'm getting wet. I'm going, to, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to talk to you about all of the waves and how you are sustaining me. You're going to keep me through all of this time. And, and then you delight in the Lord. The word delight is an interesting word. It means amorous gestures of a woman. Delight. You know, they... The, the soft, feminine touches. You know, the way that women do themselves. You know, they, they, you know how they do that. You know, they sort of... It's the way they hold themselves and the way that soft and feminine touching, amorous ways, they're petitely looking at the delight in little things. You know, you see it on, on Instagram if you follow Instagram. We have done the baby's room out. It's beautiful. Or have you seen my latest little pillows? They're gorgeous. You know? Look at my grandchildren. We're cooling our feet now in the way. Soft, gentle, delightful. That's the word delight. It's just delight in Jesus. Now, when do you delight in Jesus? You don't delight in Jesus when everything is going fine. You delight in Jesus when everything is going bad. You sit down and you think, you know, in the midst of this turmoil now, look, I like the cushions, Jesus. 
you're finding the cushions after he, you've fallen on the ground a couple of years. That didn't hurt too bad. You know, you said you'd be there and you're there. I mean, it hurt, but you're taking the pain away. You're the comforter, aren't you? Oh, you're the comforter. Oh, I don't have any wisdom in this thing. Oh, Jesus, I'm coming to you. This is big problems. I don't know. Oh, you give me some wisdom now. Oh, look at that. I'm delighting in you now. I'm, I'm looking at you. There's something here I can see. I can see some wisdom here. Oh, I can't, I can't see any wisdom, and it's been bad. It's been bad for weeks and weeks and weeks. So you're still alive. Yeah, he gives you breath. Oh, it's amazing. He actually, I'm still alive. I'm not dead yet. There's hope. There is a God who cares. Delighting in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Listen to what it says. He says, delight in the Lord. So commit your way to the Lord. Committing your life is to roll it. It's like getting a big heavy thing and say, well, I'm going to commit it and I'm going to pick it up now and I'm going to roll it to you. Roll it to That's the word commit. Roll it to the Lord. So how big is that problem you're carrying? How big is it? Well, it's really big and it's really heavy. You don't have to live on. You know, if you were in my situation, you would have a bit more compassion, Mark. You, you don't even understand what I'm going through, and I probably don't. I have my own grief. But you, you, so roll it to the Lord because he knows. Pick it up and say, I can't handle this any longer. Well, what are you carrying? And he says, cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. Oh, well, you take it. I'm committing my way to the Lord. And if it's this plan that you die, you will die. You will. You can't change that. If it's your time to cark it, you'll cark it. You can't change that. Be happy about that. It's my time to go. Hallelujah. Everybody's going to go. Don't sit and go. You, you. This guy's going to be shot in the, in the, in, where is that? Sorry? They shot him already. The Brazilian guy. The Brazilian guy, they've gone. But the, the Australian guy. The Australian guy's shot too. No, no, he's not shot yet. They're waiting for the other guy and they're going to shoot him together. Hey, hey, delight yourself in the Lord, hey. Hey? Well, the, the, the guy who smuggled all the drugs. Indonesia and Bali, whatever it was. Mr. Chan. Yeah, he's going to get shot. He hasn't got any clemency. They're not going to give him any. Oh, I'm doing all this good stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen. At least you know the hour of your death. Embrace it. You're all going to die sooner or later. If Jesus tarries, it's a coming. Lily, it's a coming. It's the truth. We, when we're young, we don't think it. We're, we're in, it doesn't matter. But when we're old, we're getting closer. We're all going to die one day, Quentin. We're all going to face Jesus one day. Embrace it. If it's today, embrace it. But I'm not fighting it. You know, God is the, the author of life. And I, I want to go through that door when I go through that door. When I go through that door, I'll go through it. Well, what about pain and suffering? Well, if it's pain and suffering, Jesus, give me grace. Embrace it. Commit it to the Lord. Don't get upset and frustrated about everybody. Don't do the comparison thing and that's looking at other people and saying, oh, look at that. He's not easy. And he's been following other gods and he's been idolatrous and he's not. Look at him. Look at him. No suffering. No suffering. And he ends up in hell. 
You have pleasure now and hell for eternity. Or you can have pain now and pleasure for eternity. You make your choice, you know. Just keep that in your mind. Keep that in your mind. And look around. He says, commit your way to he says, dwell on the land and do good. Look forward. See that doing the wrong thing is going to take you out. So do the right thing. Look up. Look at the eyes of Jesus and delight in Jesus. And when you look, look around. And when you look around, don't look around to find fault with everybody else to try and complain. Look around and see what you can do that is positive. Look around and say, what can I do that can make a difference now? I'm in a lot of pain. I'm in a lot of suffering, Joseph says. My, my brothers threw me into a hole in the ground. They sold me to the Midian lights. I got left in this horrible place. I have this vision. I have this singleness of mind that, that God is going to cause me to be rise, rise, risen up. And my brothers are going to... And they just threw me into a hole. And they sold me into slavery. Singleness of mind, you know. He never lost it. He never lost it. No matter where he was, Jesus, you help me. You help me do good. He became head in the... Wherever he did, whatever he did, he became head, you know, part of his house. He's doing the right thing by Potiphar. Potiphar is really, really blessed now because Joseph's looking after everything and part of his wife likes him, you know. Oh, no. It's all part of the plan moving forward. It's all part of the plan. What do you mean? I'm thrown in jail now. You know, I've been accused of rape. I'm in, I'm in jail now. And How can you say this is part of the plan? It's all part of the plan. Embrace it. Keep your eye on the thing. Don't lose it. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. In the end, God will work it out. He will work it out. It is better that you die believing than you die faithless. Friends, let's stand. In Psalm 37, 60 says, He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. That's what he said he would do. He can't do that if you quit. If you refuse to be patient, if you get restless because of the pain, if you get restless because of the hardship, you get restless because of the things around you, you get double-minded, you think, I don't think I can keep on going with this. You know, I'd rather run away and do something else. Where are you going to run? And what are you going to do? Jesus called us to this. This is something he's called us to. He's called us to embrace life with all of its pain and all of its sufferings. He's called us to embrace life with all the difficulties. He's called us to embrace hardship with such a vigor that when it really hurts us, the reflection of our life becomes the reflection of Jesus. He says, get into the patience of Jesus. What else? Where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do? I think, oh, you know, why, you do, why don't you just quit, Mark? Why don't you just quit? Get deep? What else am I going to do? This is suffering. This is not suffering. I haven't started suffering yet. This is just an annoyance. <laughs> it's just annoying going through difficult times. It's just a pain. You wait until they start chopping your fingers off. For your faith in Jesus. And cutting your ears off. Or cutting your tongue out. 
wait a minute, wait a minute. This is happening around the world today. Where are you living? The boundaries of the Lord have fallen to you in a pleasant place. You are living in a pleasant place. And Jesus says to you today, do not complain about the pleasant place you're living in. It won't be long. It won't be so pleasant. Embrace it. Get hardened on the inside. You were called for this to reflect the patience of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. If you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you complained this week. Did you hear some complaint coming from your lips this week? Did you find that within you there was a, an attitude of restlessness within you? You were tossing between pressing on or quitting. And the pressure of staying with Jesus and staying and living the godly life was so difficult that you decided, oh, you know, why do I have to be so hard with myself? Why don't, why don't I just let go and just take it easy a little bit? You're going to let off. And say, I don't, I'm not going to try living this godly life anymore. I'm just going to live life like normal. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you felt a temptation to lower your standards. To lower what you know that God is telling you to do. To accept something compromised. Because it was too hard to keep on going just the way Jesus wants you to go. I want to pray for you today and ask God to strengthen you. So I want you to raise your hand if you felt difficult this week and you felt like, I don't want to keep on going and this is too difficult for me. I want you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray and ask God to strengthen you. Father, I pray for those who have their hands raised. I ask you to strengthen them, Father, in their time of need. Father, they would not faint, that they would go forward in you, Father. That they would strengthen themselves in your word, Father. They would look to you, Lord Jesus. And they would look ahead and say, Lord, quitting is not the way. They would look up into your eyes, Jesus, and know that you are with them, that they could walk with you and dance with you through the diversity and the difficulties that they face, Lord Jesus. And Lord, that you would teach them and show them what good thing they can do, Father, in the midst of their, their hardship. Lord, I thank you for your life. I thank you for your hand that rests so mightily upon this congregation. Father, strengthen us so that we all express the patience of Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.